Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the end, my only friend, the end. Of our elaborate lives, the end of everything that stands. Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no popcorn, and this is not the end, it's the beginning. But it could be the end of my friendship with at least one member of this crew today. It is, of course, No Encore's Movies and Music Offshoot podcast, and we are finally back. It has been a while, but it's been a long time coming. David Higgins, who joins me here, uh, Norma Howard is not with us today. I will go right out front. It was a scheduling conflict. She's very sorry. I'm very sorry. But I will say, let's give her the first shot in anger at The Doors, which is the film that we are doing today, 1991's The Doors by Oliver Stone. Norma wants all our listeners to know that, according to her, it is, in fact, a one-star film. David Higgins, you've been pushing to this episode for quite some time. We won't get into your score rating or anything just yet, but why don't you set the tone? And, and set the tone by also introducing who we do have on this episode. Yeah, so uh, when, when you first asked me to, to do this podcast in general, uh, I basically kind of was like, oh, yeah, okay, I could be in for this. And uh, we, we talked about maybe getting some people on. And since the beginning, whatever, two, three years ago, I've been like, there's one episode that I want to do. And there's one man I want to be on the podcast. Um, obviously, the movie is The Doors. And if we were going to do The Doors, there could only be one person. And that person is your, no encore, co-host, Craig Fitzpatrick. Who joins us right now, live via satellite the from Lizard the, palace, the Palace of Wisdom. <laughs> it's Craig Fitzpatrick, the Lizard King. Yeah, you can take that on. Why not? Hello, yeah. Craig from Leaks Up. Um, long-time listener. First-time caller. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to be on the show, guys. Uh, it's slightly daunting as well because I bow to your superior film knowledge. But yeah, The Doors, it's, um, as I was saying to Higgs just before we started recording, it made total sense for me to be on this episode. Total horrific sense. And um, I'm going to attack this with relish, but also quite a lot of disdain, I think. 
Okay, well, why don't you, uh, before we get to what we've been watching real quick, uh, why don't you just set the tone? So uh, I I assume anyone who listens to No Popcorn probably comes through the medium of No Encore. So, you know, we know you, Craig, but anyone who doesn't know you, music journalist, uh, long-suffering, you could say. Um, I would argue that of (laughs) the two of us, (laughs) certainly, yeah, probably, like, I'm not probably helping you in that regard by continuing to drag you along in my life. But what I would say is, I think between the two of us, you know, we're kind of the sweet and the sour, if you will, of uh, Irish music podcasting. Um, I think, you know, you can you, you can get in there every now and then, you know, you get under the hood, break out the odd knife. But generally, I think you're probably more of a Zen kind of person, which is probably appropriate for the man in particular at the center of this film. But I think yeah, very Zen, <laughs> I think if I'm correct in saying you don't often hate music, you don't often hate a band or hate an individual, you're very loving but am I right in saying that you do, in fact, just absolutely despise the Doors? And if so, yeah. just give us a brief yeah, give, give give us a brief taster here. I do despise the Doors. It's, it's true. Um, I think the music is shoddy. I think their place in the kind of pantheon is not deserved at all. And what I realized watching this film, and I must have seen it before. I must have, or at least I saw chunks of it. Although when Kyle McLaughlin turns up, I was like, oh, Kyle, what? So maybe I didn't. But I realised that it's not that I hate a band and there happens to be a film about them. I realised the large part of the reason I hate this band is because of a film I've barely watched. And it's a film that's kind of like, totally bolsters this myth around the Lizard King (laughs) and it's like shamanic nonsense I just think lyrically just piss poor I think they're rinky dink organ work atrocious flimsy the songs were just utter rip-offs of like much superior it's just yeah it's a lot (laughs) and there's such a part of the culture of like you know when you're a teenager getting into rock and roll and stuff the legend of Jim is there and um it just always rubbed me the wrong way you're right though there's very few acts and people that do that to me but for some reason yeah the doors man can't sell well, them well look listen you can go off and we'll get there momentarily higgs uh, if you want to throw in your doors two cents here first real quick or if you want to jump into straight into what we've been watching by all means take the lead my friend i probably have a, a different uh background with the doors than craig where i'm pretty sure when i was a teenager maybe even into my early years of college I kind of liked the Doors and I definitely had uh, some Door CDs. Um, I think like a couple of weeks ago, I was out in my, my childhood home and I was going through old like concert tickets and sending some of them on to you and being like, oh, this one. You're like, oh, I was at that. I think the most embarrassing one that I found was I found a ticket for a midnight at the Olympia to see the Back Doors, a Doors tribute act. Um, <laughs> the Back Doors, and- I forgot that name. And, you know, there was there was three tickets for a Led Zeppelin tribute act. And I was like, well, that's fine. I mean, you know, I don't think I'd do it now. But, yeah, I, I was just thinking back to the time that I went to that. And uh, a couple of people I worked with, I think, were like super into the doors. I think it was just by extension uh, them, maybe. But, yeah, now I, I look back on it and I'm, I'm a little I'm a little embarrassed by it. You know, I don't I don't normally feel embarrassed by my past musical uh, choices or you know, the fact that I was kind of a fervent enough fan of them. But uh, revisiting now, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, different. Okay. Uh, well, I so one of those concert tickets you sent me was a Stained gig that we were both at. And I love how no Stained... Regrets. No regrets there whatsoever. Um, have you been regretting some of your, uh, your current movie watching choices? What have you been watching since we last spoke? Obviously, we've both been watching a lot of things, but we'll only give you some select highlights right now. 
Well, you have been watching a lot of things. I have, uh, <laughs> me, co- co-host of a movie podcast, I've watched a total of five movies, including the movie we're going to talk about since the last time we recorded, because there has been an actual festival of football on, and there's been a lot of sport, and the sun has been out, the weather's been good. It hasn't really been a time for movies, but I did, I, uh, just two things, I want to touch on uh, new movies as well, which is good. Um... I watched Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is Taylor Sheridan, who was the writer of Sicario and of Hell or High Water. He directed um, Wind River. Um, This is his new one, stars Angelina Jolie uh, as a a smoke jumper in, I'm assuming somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of forests anyway, uh, a lot of forest fires. yeah, th- this was a quite watchable but not very good film. Uh, a weird vehicle for Angelina Jolie, who kind of hasn't really been appearing in movies, but seems to be kind of decided that this year is like her big comeback year. She's in a Marvel movie later this year. Um, it kind of has all the kind of problems that Taylor Sheridan movies have, particularly with female characters, where even when the lead is a female character, invariably they're not the female character. Um so yeah, her her character is like very paper thin. She's got like a very kind of hacky backstory that tries to give like a gravitas to everything she does in the movie. So yeah, kind of weird for her. There is some good performances in it though, uh, surprisingly. Uh, Aidan Gillen is a lot he's, of fun. He's actually good in it. I couldn't believe it. He's actually yeah. not bad in it. <laughs> he's really, he's like a very cold and calculated killer. Uh, him along with, with Nicholas Holt. With an an accent that's more in his carcetti when when it's kind of it's it's weird he can do a very kind of neutral American accent I couldn't place the city um that's very believable but can't do you know a Dublin accent even yeah. though he lives there <laughs> um so yeah him along with Nicholas Holt uh who's pretty decent as well uh John Bernthal who's like a bit of a Taylor Sheridan staple I guess uh is really good in it and. His partner in it, Medina Senghor, is like a revelation. I've never seen her in anything before. She plays a heavily pregnant uh, survivalist who is absolutely amazing. It's just like captivated by her the whole time. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a little flat in how it looks, which is kind of, I think, Taylor Sheridan. Not that he's a great writer, but, you know, the movies that you think that I mentioned were all directed by people who have like a good visual... uh, visual look and yeah a lot of wonky cgi dave you've got your hand up <laughs> i have my hand up i've seen this film um i will say uh, i agree with everything you've said and honestly what's interesting is um the bernthal character and his wife like they're the b plot and they're the more interesting story uh john bernthal is a taylor sheridan staple but he doesn't do well in any of these films he tends to have a pretty rough ride good actor though i think he's underrated if anything um and yeah i will say it's funny because this film starts off and also uh, two big points i have to give it one it's like 100 minutes i think or maybe less and it's big bang of 90s vhs attitude era off it like it isn't a great film <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination but you could do a lot worse but the film begins and one of the first things in the film is a woman opens a door and behind the door uh, standing at her front door is aiden gillen and nicholas holt and aiden gillen is dressed as like a fire marshal or something and nicholas holt is dressed as like a garbage man or something and i had this moment of like 
please like like don't try and pretend that these guys are not like hitmen dressed up as something and thankfully the film immediately reveals that they are in fact hitmen dressed up as fake fire marshal and fake garbage man respectively and nicholas holt was a lot of fun in it too he doesn't have a, lot, a ton to do but their relationship was interesting and it made me be like all the more sad that nicholas holt was supposed to be in the next two mission Impossible films but dropped out yeah, and something I think I read after this movie is that I I didn't pick it up uh, in the movie, but they're like apparently father and son. I think they're brothers. Oh, they're brothers. Yeah, yeah they're related. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, but so it's yeah, never mentioned. Like, yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah, that was that. Uh, and the one other thing that I watched is uh, Shiva Baby, which is kind of quite a buzzy movie at the moment. Uh, it's about a young woman in her early twenties, um, Danielle, who goes to a Shiva, which is kind of like, I suppose, the afters of a funeral. Um, And when she's there, she runs into her ex-girlfriend and also her sugar daddy. And then she has like two really, really um, kind of overbearing Jewish parents who are kind of grabbing her at every opportunity to like bring her around and get her to talk to people. And, you know, um, it's it's a very over-directed movie which is kind of a shame because there's a good there's a good setup here uh, it's directed by emma seligman it's her debut she'd made a short version of this before and the, the the setup is great like there's there's lots of like natural awkwardness within the situation where she is but the approach to how it's directed is very much um you know editing at like a breakneck speed like really you know intensive close-ups um the musical cues are like very kind of um the like plucked strings that johnny greenwood does when he's like really trying to ratchet it up in like something like there will be blood um that kind of it really doesn't need um there's lots of like very very intensive like overlapping dialogue um that yeah i just find like really distracting while the performance is in it um particularly by the lead um rachel senna is like really really good uh fred melamed plays her dad who's always a welcome uh welcome addition in a movie it's very short there's some like great one-liners in it but yeah i kind of just wish it was kind of like toned down lots of people are like very much into how apparently intense it is and it's getting like people are i suppose lazily being like oh it's like uncut gems but it's like it's nothing like uncut gems uh, i think you're just you know taking two movies with a Jewish lead character where, you know, intense things happen. But um, yeah, an interesting movie, but yeah, not not great. Well, I will say that uh, he's not here today, sadly. I think he's out enjoying the sun, although he did watch The Doors. Uh, uh, no, Popcorn Sonic Architect David Tapley of Tandem Felix fame uh, gave this film, Shiva Baby, a two-star review on his letterbox page, and he said, it's hard to find this film as quote-unquote stressful like everyone is describing it as I'm not a fucking child who's obsessed with myself. I couldn't figure out if I was just being a boomer or something, but I think what it is <coughs> is that the absolutely gigantic ego of the main character made it very difficult for me to sympathize with her self-destructive tendency. I also find it very difficult to give a fuck about a brat whose lifestyle is funded by their parents tappy uh, going full craig on the doors there which i find interesting i haven't seen this film and now i don't want to craig uh, as someone who devours films what have you been watching <laughs> hey <laughs> i feel like i'm missing out on this whole letterbox thing as well it's, it's great like man get on it deep subculture you're all into like you're into smm behind my back or something um yeah I, what have i been doing i've been mostly um feeling ashamed about not making most of my movie 
account. Although I'm not going to perpetuate your myth that I'm some kind of Michael Owen-esque type who hates watching films. <laughs> <laughs> you're very much if you got a movie Oliver account, Stone to my Jimbo. You're you know, way, I'm an altogether yeah. more considered deep soul than the cartoon character you make there to be. Um, <laughs> what have I been watching? I've I've been having a bit of a Pedro uh, Almodovar season, which I believe Higgs you were doing last month to make a, an amazing pun out of it. I was, and then I stopped, I stopped watching movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, there was a rake of his stuff on movie, and I'd never dipped in. Um, so I started with Pain and Glory, which I thought was an absolute revelation, really. Beautiful, Antonio beautiful. Banderas, just so low-key, but so good. And as someone who didn't know Amadouar's career, it felt like a summation of his career, do you know what I mean? But I think, yeah, the delicate way it kind of handles memory, it's just low-key, autumnal how sumptuous the kind of world is. I just sunk into it. It was great. So I moved on from there to All About My Mother, um, which was tremendous as well. Uh, Kind of also very warm, very rich. There was a lot going on with that. Um, And I thought there was like a whole bunch of potential landmines, which seems to be a feature of a lot of his work. Just the subject matter can go, it could go seriously wrong, but he seems to balance it quite well. Like, I don't know, a third of the way through, I was like, I'm not, this feels a bit awkward. I'm not sure it's going to quite work the way it's juggling, you know, homosexuality, fate, the AIDS crisis, um, nuns getting off with transgender street workers they're supposed to be helping. And then it just kind of snaps into a focus. The performances are incredible. It's one of the best, I think, like emotional transitions I've seen in films for a long time where it's like this tunnel scene. Um of Cecilia Roth just um, kind of traveling back to her old stomping ground in Barcelona and it's just she's taking in the kind of nocturnal goings on of her old kind of haunts and the music is like this kind of haunting I don't know kind of Moorish song I think it's Ishmael Lowe and it's an absolute like heartbreaker without you really knowing why and I was just like I'm on the verge of tears and this guy this director is absolutely top tier um so that will stay with me I thought that was great if I may yeah. uh, say course, I, yeah. I, I also watched All About My Mother for the first time ever uh, about a month ago and couple of things uh first of all i will say that like i was similarly moved i thought it was outstanding i thought it was incredible yeah. and emotive and just geniusly beautiful um but i will say of course you know then you go on to letterbox and like you read like i, re- I read this very long essay about uh, like i think it was someone on letterbox who's like a fairly kind of big name on there or whatever and a, a trans writer a queer writer and they were saying like uh, this film is disgusting and Pedro Almodovar hates uh, like trans people and I was like fuck I was like I didn't get that at all and I was like and I but obviously like my lived experience is not that of an, another person who Th- that was, I was really that nervous I around that thing yeah and it was just like it for me it just worked because the characters felt real the humanity like, Antonio there, San Juan yeah. just like she's just this kind of hilarious um, actor just really natural um, you're rooting for these people and yeah as you say the humanity one that didn't work quite as well for me for probably similar reasons was talk to her, um, which is like, it's kind of following two men who are like, they struck up this friendship because they're caring for women that are in comas and like watching it with like your 20, 21 glasses on. You're like, okay, I know, I think I know what he's doing. It's like a critique on objectifying women's bodies or like projecting our own wants and desires on them. But at times it kind of feels frivolous and it's just such tricky subject matter to navigate that didn't work for me in the way all about my mother did so 
yeah, I'm going to keep going through his catalogue and see how things pan out. But, I just want um, to say, yeah. sorry, just one last thing, not to hijack, but just like uh, on All About My Mother, because I meant to say this in the last episode, but like, uh, and like this is the awkward part here where I reveal that uh, Higgs has very kindly allowed me to 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 use his movie account and I, I have to reveal that information to reveal Are you allowed to say that? <laughs> I, I think I'm like... Uh, uh, Piracy, well, mate. It'll be fine, it'll be fine. Will, will, will it be fine? But like, like the, yes. the anecdote that's coming up I think is worth it, but we can decide. We can maybe like beat things out strategically. But the point is... um. I went to watch All About My Mother. I've never seen it before. I threw it on. I think Higgs had watched it like the night before or something. So I threw it on and I'm watching the opening credits and I was like, wow, these opening credits are like really elaborate. I was like, they're just like, I was like, and they're going on for fucking ages. I was like, this All is right. a, what on earth? And then of course I was like, ah, what 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 a genius director he is. He's just playing with the form. <laughs> if anything, these look like the end credits of the film. And I was like, Oh yeah, because that's exactly what they are. This is where Higgs stopped watching it, and this is where I've picked it up. So amazing! But um, please continue, Craig, and please nobody come after any of us because we're not doing anything bad. I swear. There was a moment, like watching some of these films in like lockdown haze. There was a moment in Pain and Glory where Antonio Banderas is like, he's going hunting for some heroin on the streets, and it's kind of played for like the awkwardness of it and like kind of troubled laughs or whatever. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, he gets a bag for like twenty quid. I genuinely went. It's only 20 quid to get heroin. Do I might do that. Easy. <laughs> might be something to do for an afternoon. And then I caught myself like, Jesus, it's Jesus. been a long fucking year. He's still going to Primavera in Barcelona next year. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I sure am. You've got to show up in an incredible green leather jacket, though. Much like <laughs> Antonio Banderas' character. Um, but yeah, I've been dipping in and out of other stuff on there. Dead Pigs, which I'm sure you've seen. I'm sure you've seen everything I've seen. Uh, it's Kathy Yan's kind of, I think it was her feature. She's Birds of Prey. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the Shanghai Magnolia, I think. It it worked for me to an extent. It's like, it caught my eye because it was like, okay, some Chinese cinema, I don't know anything about it, I'll dip in. But it actually, in truth, it's like this heavily kind of westernized kind of Chinese film. Like, I think she was like raised in Virginia and like went to Princeton and stuff. And it's a satire on, I guess, Chinese capitalism. And it's got like these interweaving stories. Um all based around this kind of real incident where I think like thousands of pig corpses were like turning up in the Huangpu River a few years ago. And yeah, it works to an extent, but it's a bit like, you know, you've got the bumbling pig farmer, you've got like um, this kind of disenchanted rich girl, you've got like a feisty salon owner and it's kind of like all these archetypes that are only half working and it ends it ends magnolia style well you know it doesn't end like that but like it's a it's a musical number the cast kind of bursts into the song and i'm like this isn't working for me at all um but i kind of enjoyed the ride up until then so uh i will blast through mine before we get to the doors i will say that uh here's a here's a few examples uh i watched uh spiral from the book of saw which is uh the long-awaited uh <laughs> chris rock samuel L. jackson um saw not quite reboot but like you know it's set in the saw universe and um it's terrible uh it's it's like it's not the worst idea of all time for like you know to try and jolt this thing back into life because basically everyone being killed in the film they're all dirty cops so it's like the it's the acab saw even though like it predates it being made before like acab became a thing whatever but like 
Yeah, um, it's just not very good. It's not scary. It's it's very perfunctory. And I will say, Chris Rock is terrible in it. The whole story goes here that he was at a party with like the producers of the franchise or something. And he was like, I fucking love those films. Let's bring it back. And they were like, really? You you want to do this? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's do it, man. And then they did it. And Chris Rock is in it. And he's doing, there are so many instances of Chris Rock clearly doing improv stand-up bits, like in the Saw film. And it's like, Jesus christ like he has an entire thing about like wives you know and he's like oh you know you don't satisfy your wife man and i'm like this is ridiculous like what the fuck didn't he do happening? a film called i think i love my wife i think is he might have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh samuel jackson's doing your classic thing of like you know he's all over the marketing material and he's in like the film for like 10 minutes um but like i will say like yeah it's 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 not the kind of wonderful resurrection of the beloved saw franchise that we were all hoping Did you expect for it to be this is one of my favorite no popcorn tropes by the way where it's just like Norma and Higgs just being constantly baffled by you going into films that you kind of know you're going to hate. Oh yeah, just yeah. I, like, like I, I don't, uh, I don't have much of a life, Craig. So you know, hence <laughs> me watching a lot of films. Either that, or you well, have a very full, rich life. Wait, wait till what I'm about to get to. But I will say, um, yeah. Look, it was curiosity. I was like, you know, how are they going to do this? What will it be like? I'm, I'm intrigued. You know, I like the first one. You know, I was there in the cinema in 2004 along with everybody else when that ending happened being like, oh my God, even though I think I called it. Nonetheless, with this one, speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of calling it, quite frankly, if you don't guess who the villain in this film is in the first 20 minutes or so, I'd be like, come on. It's one of the most obvious villain reveals I've ever seen. And they don't even handle it well. It was like, the, the, that's that's it. It's so, it's so, is that it? Like the movie. And yeah, nice to hear that music again at the end though. Um. I watched Robocop from 1987, which I think is a five-star classic. I think it's an absolutely perfect film that just gets better with age as the world gets worse with age. Uh, an incredible satire, the darkest of comedy. Uh, if you've never seen Robocop, prepare, prepare yourself for... I remember seeing that when I was about six years old. Everyone has, right? Had it on. Yeah. And just Everyone, like, it, what like, in the hell is this? And of course, I, watched, I, 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 yeah. I obviously watched the director's cut as well, which has much more violence in it. And it's oh just God, yeah. so over the top. I will say, I think it has one of the best, most underrated gags like in anything. It's like a Simpsons-level gold where... You know, there's the bit at the start where, like, the boardroom executive gets gunned down by Ed 209, the malfunctioning Ed 209. And again, he's been already cut into fucking Swiss cheese, and there's still another... And you can tell because the film grain is different. It's like when Murphy gets blown, like, gets his arm blown off. It's like, that's the director's cut bit. But, like, his corpse is, like, strewn out on a fucking table, and it's just getting pumped full of bullets. And it's so nasty. And everyone's like, I can't believe it. You've set this division back 10 years. And it's like, this guy was just fucking viciously, brutally murdered. So it cuts to uh, one guy and then also the, the late, great Miguel Ferrer of Twin Peaks fame, of course, who plays a, you know, coke-addled exec who has the Robocop plan. And they're getting into the lift. And one of them's like, Jesus Christ, like, that guy, like, who's clearly like a friend of theirs. <laughs> He's like... Jesus, that was horrible, wasn't it? And Miguel Ferrer like is like putting his coat on, and he goes, "That's life in the big city." And it's, like, <laughs> it's like it's so good. It is so many of those little moments where you're like, "This was so ahead of its time." And apparently, Kurtwood Smith, you know, like we would go on, of course, to the '70s show. Apparently, improv like a lot of his dialogue, and they just kept it all in. It's 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 an incredible, incredible film. Um, one more, real quick. Um, a great art house film because I also watched those called Exotica from the mid-90s it's on Volta the filmmaker is uh, Atom Egoyen I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly um, it was a film that I would have caught on BBC2 a lot when I was much too young to be watching a film of this nature and just being like what is this uh, it's set in the world's saddest strip club in like it's it's Canadian 
film, everyone in it is Canadian, and it's just about the kind of interlocking lives of these very, very sad, very, very lost, very, very broken characters. Um, and I think it's actually kind of incredible. I think it's genuinely a bit of a remarkable film, and like a really, really difficult, slow burn drama, but incredibly rewarding. But uh, is the Fast and the Furious franchise rewarding? I don't know. I'm on my rewatch because Higgs and I. <clears throat> are imminently about to go see Fast 9 in the cinema. We'll have seen that by the time this episode comes out, of course. So I'm making my way back through the entire franchise, some of which I'd never seen before. So I've literally watched eight of them, and I'm going to watch Hobbs and Shaw again tonight, even though it's not a good film. Um, I got to a point there last week where I watched seven Fast and the Furious films in six nights, and... I genuinely think I started to become physically affected by it. Like, I, like my head was starting to just cave in. I was like, "This when, is too much." When you were trying to sleep and you like you closed your eyes, was there just like bottles of Corona? Just like <laughs> there was uh, the opening chords down to that Wiz Khalifa song just playing in my head the whole time, um, which you love. I mean, it's 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 an emotional moment. I will say, but I will say it's also it's very it's especially draining getting to that particular moment after watching seven films in six nights uh, a bizarre franchise there's some very good in there there's some absolute terrible in there and the fact that it exists at all is kind of a miracle maybe you could say the same about jim morrison who of course is the frontman of the doors and the doors by oliver stone 1991 is the main event film that we're here to talk about craig is just taking a deep breath we'll allow him to just collect his thoughts peyote's finally kicking in so i think it's the right time <laughs> As hit we... that tibetan bowl <laughs> As we take the trailer for Oliver Stone's two hours and 20 minute uh, rampage about the doors. It's on Netflix, by the way, so go check it out if you haven't. Here's the trailer. Bobby Krieger, guitar player. John Densmore, percussionist, 22 years old. Far out. Uh, Pamela Morrison, ornament. Raymond Daniel Manzarek, 121239, position. Name, occupation? Uh, Jim. Sides are being chosen. The planet is screaming for change, Morrison. We gotta make the myths. You need to see the first shaman invented sex. They call him the one who makes you crazy. I'm the lizard king! I can do anything! Jim Morrison. The God of Rock. Okay, yeah, there you go. Lots in there. Uh, before we get to Craig, we'll, we'll, you know, we're gonna we're, we're gonna unleash him very soon. Can David Higgins give us some background and I guess some plot of this, if that's fair to say? <laughs> yeah. Um, the background on this is that apparently in the in the early eighties, the Doors became a thing again. Obviously, um, a couple of years the end um, at the beginning of Apocalypse Now. And the Jim Morrison biography, No One Gets Out of Here Alive, that was written by Danny Sugarman, who was kind of like, you know, professional hanger on of the doors, later was their manager. Um, he put that out. And then there was just like this renewed interest uh, in the doors and a kind of a long gestating project that kind of like got kicked around studios um, with all sorts of directors attached or interested in it. I don't buy a lot of them. Apparently Scorsese was interested, but he's always been a Stones man. So I just don't, I couldn't see him making a Doors film. I would have had to crowbar in Mick Jagger somewhere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, you know, some people might think of Jim Morrison as a a messianic figure. You know, 
Scorsese literally made a movie about Jesus Christ in the late 80s. So um, eventually he found his way to Oliver Stone, who, um, you know, was a young was a young man in his teens when he first heard The Doors in Vietnam and was obviously kind of like made a connection with Jim Morrison. And at that time, when it kind of it got greenlit and Stone came on board, he was basically... Yeah, and I, can't, I I knew he'd won one director. He basically, in the space of like three years, had won two Best Director Oscars, uh, had massive success with Born on the Fourth of July, with Platoon, with Wall Street, like, you know, had written Scarface, was essentially from the mid 80s to the early 90s was like probably the biggest property in Hollywood. So could kind of do whatever he wanted, which um, was The Doors. And also, he, you know, he did JFK in the same year. Um so yeah, plot-wise, um, it's a very standard kind of, uh, you know, biography, mostly of Jim Morrison. This movie's not really about the doors. It's, uh, you know, you have a very light bit of uh, backstory of Jim, you know, that's essentially just a hallucination, a dream. Um, and then we're in UCLA where he meets Ray Manzarek and then starts the doors, the doors get big and he dies. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I mean, succinct, absolutely, and nicely told. Is the film nicely told and succinct? I would say no. But uh, what I will do is I will I will set the scene, right? Uh, we'll, we'll pull it back a little bit there. So this is a scene between Val Kilmer playing Jim Morrison. And again, this film could be called Jim Morrison. There's the famous poster uh, of his face and the flamed hair. Uh, he's sitting on a beach with uh, Carl McLaughlin's Ray Manzarek, or Manzarek, uh, he says Manzarek, um, and the, the beginning of a series of just exceptional wigs that Colin McLaughlin will wear in this oh, film. Oh, so good. Uh, they are, <laughs> they get out of hand. So this is uh, Jim Morrison sitting on a beach uh, singing to a awestruck Colin McLaughlin, Ray, Raymond Zarek, and the conversation that follows. Let's swim out tonight, love. It's our turn to try. Park beside the ocean on a moonlight drive. It's a great fucking lyrics, man. Yeah? Yeah. You write this? You got others in here? Bunch, man. It's like I had a whole concert in my head, you know. I see it all, Ray. Like, uh, what the hell happened to you in the desert, man? You know, ecstasy. Get a rock and roll band together, make a million bucks. So much stuff, Ray. Got tons of songs. Things about to explode, Jim. You can feel it in the air. People want to fight or fuck, love or kill. Vietnam is right out there, man. Sides are being chosen. Everything's gonna flame, man. The planet is screaming for change, Morrison. We gotta make the myths. <laughs> we gotta make the myths. So, uh, Cobb McLaughlin is really going for it on the rare occasions he gets to go for it in this film. And as yeah. a matter of fact, uh, I want to pull. I want to pull it back even further, real quick here, because. Uh, that clip, uh, there's a moment early on when uh, Colin McLaughlin is, is trashing the uh, vocal prowess of one Bob Dylan, who, of course, was the subject of a recent No Encore Top 5. Um, David Tapley, who, uh, like I say, is our editor and our friend and is a, a, a on-the-record Bob Dylan stan, I would say, uh, he sent uh, Higgs and I and Norma a little reaction video of him watching The Doors and watching that scene in particular when Bob Dylan is called into question by a, a vicious impression so let's just hear what that sounded like to our ears. Show me your one. Shy. <laughs> Sing it. Shy. 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 Shy.
can't sing. We gotta be able to sing better than Dylan, man. Johnny's in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. Shut the fuck up, McLaughlin. <laughs> I said the exact same thing when I was watching, to be honest. <laughs> it is kind of surreal seeing Kyle MacLachlan around the time of Dale Cooper as this character, but um, okay. It makes so, sense, though, doesn't it? Well, I guess it all makes sense in a weird, hazy way. Craig Fitzpatrick, um, why don't you give us some background on Jim Morrison, your opinion of the man, and also just your general thoughts on this film, because as is always the case with Craig, the man has come with notes. I believe you've killed yet another tree in order to fill up a notebook full of thoughts. Uh, I will say, I thought of you re- re- often and repeatedly when watching this film. I thought of you just laughing. <laughs> laughing hysterically and being upset i have to assume you went through a gauntlet of emotion please take us into your world yeah i went from like my two modes while watching this were like screwed up uh pain that was the expression on my face to like literally laughing out loud i'd i'd got a jim morrison book (laughs) years ago from some well-intentioned family member i think uh it wasn't one of the big ones it was like jim morrison life death legend or something (laughs) stephen davis but it like tells this story essentially so i kind of was familiar with all the touchstone moments that like singing bit on the beach apparently did actually happen <laughs> in many ways this is just a love story between jim morrison and actually no it's a love story between ray manzarek and jim morrison without jim morrison really you know it's unrequited but everything from jim like sleeping on a roof for an entire summer writing poetry seems to be true um the essence of the man, I think, is here in bits and pieces. But it's also like, I do think this film tells us more about Oliver Stone than it does about Jim Morrison as an actual person. Because it's clearly just like hero worship on, on the part of Oliver Stone. I don't think it's like done as a cautionary tale of a dude that like dies at 27 and is clearly an alcoholic and has lots of issues. I think it's like... He's like this Dionysian fucking god and everything he does is like another step on the road to enlightenment. And there's a lot of surface kind of bullshit uh, here. But there was a lot of that in the music, I think. I do think Jim Morrison probably gets a raw deal in terms of like the bands themselves weren't entirely happy with his portrayal in this film. They said, you know, it didn't show the kind of fun loving, like funny, sensitive guy that they knew. Um so I can kind of well believe that, but also he clearly reveled in the more cartoonish aspects of being a rock god. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you you kind of mention about um, Oliver Stone kind of like glorifying everything about Jim Morrison and, and the fact that he did die so young um, and that pretty much Val Kilmer's only thing when he came on board to make this was he's like, he went to Stone and he was like, I have no interest in glorifying that kind of lifestyle yeah, yeah. um and killer found like that whole idea like pretty abhorrent and he himself has always kind of had an issue with celebrity and kind of has never really you know despite um being a very traditionally good looking guy who's been in a lot of big movies and has had a lot of famous girlfriends has always kind of like shied away from the limelight so in that sense, is like he he didn't see himself as Morrison. Yeah, I find it weird that like you know I don't think anything in his performance is necessarily glorifying it. I think it's all, it's all Stone. It's all yeah. how he makes the movie look. Um, you know his his compositions, his shots. It it does. It's it it is like myth making 
101, uh, the way it's done. And yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Dave? I think it's on this weird precipice where like, it's it's almost... It's funny that you mentioned the Kilmer thing because I wasn't aware of that. And that makes a bit more sense because it's so close to committing to the villainy. And it does commit to the villainy, like here and there, that there are long stretches of Jim Morrison being horrible. There's also a lot of, you know, like, I mean, we, we, you kind of have to get into the whole fiction versus, you know, reality thing here because... There's some stuff in here, like there's one bit where he like locks Meg Ryan in a in a fucking wardrobe and sets it on fire, mm. which I don't think Apparently happened. Didn't happen. yeah, yeah, so like the, there's kind of numerous moments, of, which is always the case. And anytime we talk about films like this, it's like the poetic license. The poetic license can go so far in some directions where you're like, "That's what?" Like, I mean, you can't put in like an attempted murder that never happened. Oliver um, Stone can. <laughs> I guess he can, um, but even for all of career Stone, out of it. But even for Oliver Stone, I found this film very, very inert. Um, I found it very boring. Um, I mean, it's funny because it was like a, it was like a blazing hot day, and I was like, "Well, I got to watch this before I get into my Fast and the Furious rewatch." So I have no choice but to do it now. I think it was before a podcast or something. So I just like pulled the blinds, two and a half hours of the doors. Strangely enough, I didn't like. It didn't like really piss me off. It pissed me off when I thought about it afterwards and I wrote like a review of it on Letterboxd or whatever. This is a band I don't normally have much of an opinion on. I agree that they're pretty bad. And as a matter of fact, one of the, one of the scenes I found to be especially funny early on was when they're practicing. Um, this is before they've made long, long before they've made it, of course, and they're writing songs. Uh, so it's the full band and it's Colin McLaughlin as Raymond Zarek. Uh, you got Frank Whaley of, you know, briefly kind of a thing in the 90s for five seconds as uh robbie krieger uh everyone's favorite from pulp fiction yeah (laughs) everyone's favorite dreadful caricature of kevin dillon as their drummer john densmore and of course you've got the lizard king himself just skulking around the place and so this is them writing light my fire which i i love this scene because like it's the lads nailing it you know and like like it's always funny like like bohemian rhapsody like like when someone like they nail the classic song that everyone knows and loves today and I just think it's comical, so let's take a listen to it. That's great, Robbie. You got some nice changes in there. Any lyrics? Yeah, yeah, some. I call it light my fire. If I'm going to compete with your stuff, it better be about earth, snakes, or fire. So. <laughs> I like it. Sounds like the birds, though, man. But I, I like it. I like it. It's good. Little Latin beetle do it some justice. Maybe put a, a couple Start long over, solos over, like Start uh, over. like Coltrane did on my favorite things. Start over. <clears throat> yeah, A minor, B minus, jazz. Yeah, man. Yeah. Time to take this through. Some kind of intro. No time to wallow in the mud. Try now, we can only lose. And our love becomes a funeral pile. Come on, baby, light my fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Try to set the night on fire. Can you give me about five minutes? I gotta Love figure out some kind of intro. Pie. Let's let them work. You like that? Yeah, I like it. Go to the beach, man. So yeah, look, it's that, it's that, it's the bit at the end when Colin McLaughlin is basically Ross from Friends with his keyboard noodling around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or he like, sounds like he's playing an organ at an ice hockey game. I was gonna say, yeah, or like I, 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 <laughs> that's I, the Doors. Or like, they the, nailed or like it. the Simpsons, like the the old woman organ player in the Simpsons doing like Inagata de Vida. It's just so cartoonish, and like, as, and the best part is, it's like it, this is being presented to you as like the moment of genius, the breakthrough, spontaneous. 
meanwhile they've just rehearsed Break On True to the other side for the first time ever as well so it's just <laughs> like everything has arrived in like <laughs> oh, one no. afternoon but like the lads go out to the front of the beach and again it looks like a fucking Thrills album cover and then you have this thing where like Colin McLaughlin's back in there and you just hear like this shit theremin noodling and I'm like and then I was like oh yeah then I thought about that is, yeah then I remembered the intro to Light My Fire and I was like that's just so annoying it's like an, an ice cream van on fire uh, Craig is Light My Fire a good song? Um, it's a good pop song I never need to hear it again but it's yeah it's fine Um, I prefer the Garrett Gates version to be quite honest <laughs> <laughs> Colin McLaughlin is so perfect in this though I think he's because he's like he doesn't get enough he's to do. a nut Ray Manzarek is a nut job clearly like a well-intentioned nut job <laughs> he's clearly an enabler as well right like he's always just in the background as Jim is going off the rails and yeah I think he's like because he's got this exterior of like a straight-laced like all-american kind of stiff but then he's like a mad scientist weirdo like bubbling under the surface which is kind of that's Colin McLaughlin isn't it? it's kind of playful childlike innocence thing it's very Dale Cooper at times um Val Kilmore like he, he sings nearly all of this right like yeah. he did all of the concert performances um they're all really well shot I think he's kind of incredible in this I mean like like Jim Morrison Kilmer's incredible it, yeah terrible it's like like he inhabited the character the voice is spot on um and yeah, I, I I actually even liked the concert performances, even with all the like slipping into shamanic bonfires and I hate it's kind of Oliver Stone doing his like war scenes, except it's rock and roll. <laughs> that was I, it. Kind of made sense to me though because me. it captures the kind of stupid chaos of those gigs and everyone off their face. Like it's it's kind of pure Stone, and I think it works in that context. It's my, I mean? it's, but those gigs are my idea of hell and like I was just like if I was in this position I would just be like I have well, they're, to they're not really happening though are they they're all like in Jim's head like most of this is I think supposed to be in oh, Jim's I, head I, that wasn't necessarily my interpretation Higgs do you agree with that and also what do you think of the casting in general um, that's that's definitely an interesting take I, I would have never assumed that even though a lot of Stones movies even like JFK this year has like a very dreamlike quality uh, in terms of how it looks and also sometimes I guess maybe even in its logic um, I've always thought that he's a very kind of literal man in terms of like this is what happened obviously outside of uh, peyote trips into the desert um, in terms of the cast yeah uh, Val Kilmer is absolutely incredible in this like there it's like it's not Val Kilmer in a way like um, I think I can't remember if it was Bobby Krieger was saying that you know they were you know, in terms of a singing voice, like they were they were played a recording by Paul Rothschild, who was the, the producer who who pops up in this played by the great Michael Wincott uh, with that beautiful raspy voice. Um, but Kilmer went to him before he got the gig and was kind of actively campaigning for it and like recorded, you know, some version of it himself with Paul Rothschild to like send to uh, Oliver Stone. And, you know, when they were played it for the other members of the Doors, they were just like one of them couldn't even tell who it was like and in terms of the look like if you were to basically give me the you know that iconic uh photo of, of morrison in the in the leather pants topless give me the kilmer version give me the jim morrison version i you know like probably like five times out of ten i'd get it wrong if you were like <laughs> who's who like he looks exactly like him he just disappears into the role um he's like a genuine revelation uh, Mansrick is uh, or sorry McLaughlin is Mansrick. It's cartoonish because of the wigs, but it's 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 enjoyable. Um, 
Kevin Dillon. Yeah, I, I didn't even know he was an actor before um, Entourage. I just thought like him being an Entourage was like a bit. I wasn't. I wasn't aware of his he career. Was but... in, he was in Platoon with Oliver Stone. Uh, so yeah, that must be how go. he got this. Like, and Frank Whaley's just kind of there. They don't really get anything to do. Yeah, and Meg Ryan kind of has like a thankless role of just like being annoyed at Jim. Um, gets to hamming up a lot at that Thanksgiving scene where you know it's an absolutely borderline hilarious scene. Do you want to hear the scene? I want yeah, to hear the scene. Dumb. I mean, like, it's funny. Give me the you, scene. Well, Give me you, some debt. Because well, you put this in. And my initial reaction to it was, I actually like thought, I was like, I don't want to cut this scene because I found it to be just incredibly depressing and so over the top. But then I guess when I rewatched it, I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. There is some, there is some cartoonishness here. So I will play that for you now. I just have one more thing to say to you, Jim Morrison. You have ruined another Thanksgiving. God, bastard, you killed my... I mean, we're laughing our way through that, but it's like, <laughs> it's kind of a major problem for me with this film where all the kind of borderline like domestic abuse scenes and there's the kind of much darker stuff, but it's like played as weirdly like celebratory. And you've got, I think the use of like so much Doors music where it's like jaunty organ underneath these kind of, you know, love me two times babe pop songs as he like is an absolute terror and clearly a man spiraling and he needs help. Like, I think... I think this story could be told in a much more sensitive, darker way and be really interesting and have some meat to it. But this is just pure, like, rock and roll drama where it's like, oh, the boys will, you know, boys will be boys. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, we're laughing because of just of, of how hardcore. It's so tele- ridiculous. Like, the, yeah. the, the hard swing, the hard pivot into telenovela there, like in the middle of it, yeah. it just becomes utterly ridiculous. Like Robert Altman's Nashville has nothing on this, on the chaos here in terms of like, because there's a moment where like you hear like, you hear like a guy being like, ah, oh, ciao, bella, bella, bella. And it's like there's this random Italian character called Italian Count who is seen at this scene and then later doing heroin with Meg Ryan and never seen again he's played by an actor called costas mandalore who by the way pops up in the saw franchise congratulations to him then at the end you hear a guy who's like fuck off ray and that's michael madsen let's just throw michael madsen into this for some reason why not he he gets nothing to do um he's and, madsen topless, and yeah no and as an actor and it's just yeah it's just like it's a it's 
what is happening is horrific, but it's so it's so violently over the top that you just can't help but just be like, what the fuck am I yeah, watching? Yeah, totally, it's so all over the place. I think, uh, yeah, it's just, it's that way through the whole film as well. Yeah, like, you, you could, there could be a movie that's just like Jim and Pam that would be far more considered in what it does and looks at their relationship and, how you know, they both probably enabled each other and take a very more... You know, it would be harder in the edges of it, but would be probably far more true to to what was actually going on where, yeah, that scene is just like, it is, it's like, it's daftly chaotic. And as you said, like so many of the scenes in this movie, because they're underscored by music of the doors, they just like, they don't hit right at all. Or they're like, so incredibly on the nose. Like there's a scene where... Um, he meets Andy Warhol and it's like the whole thing is, you know, people <laughs> oh, are strangers on the background. It's like, oh, oh, sorry, strange days. And it's just like, oh God, like, could I you not have picked something else? Crispin There's... Glover as Andy Warhol, I was just, way. I was just about to say, I was like, speaking of cartoon, cartoonish moments and characters, here's Andy Warhol. Let's take a listen. There are so many people there. Andy, this is Jimmy, Jim Morrison of the world famous George oh. musical group. Andy Warhol, Hi. of course. Wow. Wow. <laughs> We really like your music. Um, How you doing, Andy? Oh, great. And uh, there were uh, so many people at the show. Uh, the paintings were getting uh, crushed, mm. and uh, they had to take them all down. So uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of uh, uh, great. Uh, just the walls. You see, Andy was the artist. You should do a show with just bare walls. <laughs> I'd really like to use you in one of our movies, Jim. You're really such a beauty. You know what Andy says? Someday everybody will be famous for 15 days. Look, I mean, that's like cramming in every cliche about Andy Warhol. Possibly. It's also it's like the most the most Saturday Night Live impersonation by Crispin Glover of Andy Warhol. It is ridiculous, and that's the entire film. And also, yeah, much like like. Almost, I think almost every single scene of this film has a Doors song just playing in it. And it's like... Well, this... that's the Velvets where it's just like, okay, this kind of works because it has the atmosphere of like the sinister, malevolent like scenesters. And I was... do like the way that's shot where it's kind of woozy and it's totally... Was that heroin was that by the again? Velvet Underground? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, a little on the nose. <laughs> on the nose as well. Yeah, <laughs> so ridiculous. And there's even like a character where it's like, hey, Jim, I'm Nico. And it's like, okay, I mean... Yeah, it becomes it, it it goes off the rails. I mean, there's a moment. I think when it lost me as well, there's a moment where like he meets uh, a journalist who he ends up having like a kind of a pagan affair with or something. And it, I, I was stunned to learn this was based on a real human being because it's like, what is this character? This is like, it's like a character from the fucking crow just shows up and like starts like like doing like yeah. this weird. There's one moment in particular where like they are chasing each other around a gothic apartment as that famous piece of music which i can never remember the name of plays but it's the oh fortuna that's what it is and it's just like and i was like i can't i can't believe like the devil's advocate has more subtlety it's kind of like i like i said i wasn't this film didn't necessarily infuriate me but at a certain point i was just like this is this is out of control. And like I understand you're trying to like portray the life of an out of control young rock star. But it looks fucking miserable on top of everything else. Um Higgs, so what is your general kind of feeling, especially as a, a um elapsed doors fan, 
what is your general kind of feeling of the tone of this film? And on a basic level, because once again, you've hidden your star rating from Letterboxd, a reminder that Norma Howard gave it one out of five. I think Tabby gave it two and a half. I gave it two. Uh, where do you stand on this as a, a like as a motion picture? It's a absolute mess. Um, <laughs> I think one of the, one of the things that's I find I I find it a mess, but I find it like very watchable in that you know that the kind of thing we always talk about the the watchable two star movie where there's just too many kind of interesting uh, things going on in it to, for it to be like truly abhorrent. Um, so like in terms of like even even the cast like we've kind of we've mentioned some of them but the way people just kind of like pop up like you made mention of michael madsen there and it's like it's kind of fun where it's like oh he's here and and he's gone or like a young titus welliver as a cop who like maces uh morrison when he's like backstage you know paul williams shows up uh demi bazaar um and i i quite like the way that it looks because this is basically, and I guess JFK's was it as well, but like previously to this, like Oliver Stone had been a kind of like a formalist filmmaker in terms of like how he how he made things, and this is like the 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 gateway drug into what would become, I guess, the way any given Sunday or um, particularly Natural Born Killers, where he's like he's really messing around with form um, in terms of you know, how it looks, how it's shot. Like, this thing changes aspect ratios all the time. It's got, like, weird angles. It kind of mixes in different media. So I find that interesting, and I think that it looks great. Like, um, it's Robert Richardson, who's, like, Scorsese, uh, you know, and he works with Tarantino quite a lot. So, like, it looks great. I love the Kilmer performance, even though I don't love Jim Morrison. Um, So... Yeah, like I find it watchable, but like not in any way a good film. It's like it's an absolute mess. And I'm still baffled why Oliver Stone wanted to make this, basically at a time when he kind of could have made whatever he wanted. I know he was he was also trying to make a Vita at this time, which we covered before. But I can understand why he wanted to make a Vita. I don't really understand why he wanted to make this, particularly what it become, uh, what it became. Um but yeah, I I I could I could see myself revisiting it mostly just for Kilmer. Oh wow! I mean, this was the first time for me. I'd somehow never seen it over the thirty years that it's been out. I'd seen snippets of it, but I never actually sat down to the whole thing. Uh, Craig, at what point did you kind of run out of patience with this? And also, again, I mean, give me give me give me some more lore here because you you know you've you've read up on the, like like on the subject matter. Um, and you you're familiar with the era, you know, like you yeah. you like some bands from this time. Oh yeah, I love a lot of bands from around this time. That's why kind of the jo- the doors kind of rubbed me the wrong way so much. Um, I ran out of patience with this early doors. Um, round about when he's in like film school, UCLA, and he's like showing off the student film, and it's like Nuremberg Night or whatever. Is it the second scene like- of the film? <laughs> <laughs> People, <laughs> I think the teacher goes like, "This is ridiculously pretentious," and I'm just like, "Is this Oliver Stone being like, yes, I'm pretentious?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you are." And people are like getting up and leaving in the middle of it, and I'm like, "I wish I could leave with them." Um, but I came back around. There's like a lot of laughs. Knowing the story helped me. So, like, there's a certain point where, like, the band are all kind of back together at a certain point, and um, 
like there's a bit of kind of exposition where I think it's Kyle MacLachlan's like, so you're living in France now? And I'm like, oh, we're near the end because he dies in France. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be dead in the bathtub quite soon. <laughs> there's some amazing lines there as well where it's just like, it's him kind of saying goodbye to the lads and like... Giving them his book, giving his book like, of poetry. <laughs> There's been no kind of chemistry between him and Densmore at all throughout the entire film. And like, Jim's like, miss me? And Densmore's like, more than you know, asshole. And it's just like, we've seen no evidence that you're going to miss each other whatsoever. It's like, you know what, Jimbo, you're all right. (laughs) Fucking hell. But uh, 141 minutes. Um, It's so flabby. It's so indulgent. Uh, there's, There's at least two too many concert performances where you're just like... This same thing just keeps happening over and over again until we finally get to Miami and he does his whole, like, defund the police so I can get my rocks off backstage speech. <laughs> basically, the like, it seems to be his whole, um, I don't know, his whole philosophy in life, what he's going for. It's a mess. I totally get why Oliver Stone made this when he had, like, the opportunity because... To me, Oliver Stone seems like there's none more boomer a director. This was clearly a dude who's like worshipping Morrison, loves everything about that era. He's like, he was in Vietnam himself. He kind of is graduating college as the doors are breaking up. He wants to be Jimbo. Like he clearly wants to be that guy. And the closest he could get was like making the film and making sure there's that scene we talked about where like Jim's having his orgasm and it's like a kind of sacred moment. There's so much boomer nonsense in this. Like within two minutes, you're getting like the cultural appropriation of like (laughs) the shamanic stuff where it's just like there's Native Americans, there's been a terrible accident and this will be like a foundational part of Jim Morrison's story, like in real life as well. And all... All that happens is that his family drive past an accident site <laughs> and like a four-year-old Jim is like, I am now like, you know, taking on the soul of this old Indian and his personality and I'm going to use it for financial gain. And Oliver Stone's like, right, we're running with that and we're going to mix that into the whole film. Gotta and make it's the mitts, like, you know? Gotta make the mitts. And I think, in a, a, like, as I said at the very start, I think a lot of the... The Doors myth is wrapped up in this film. Like Higgs, as you were saying, like they're kind of the Doors were obviously hugely popular in the sixties, but maybe they'd fallen by the wayside a bit. And then the eighties, and as then as this film comes out, they become finally one of those you know bands on a on, in the pantheon because of this. I think right. I, th- I that's I actually have a question for you guys because I don't really know this and I didn't look it up. But you being music journalists, I'm I'm curious. Um, Will you have an answer? Like, obviously, throughout the ages, like, both uh, record labels and music publications have tried to make bands a thing. And there's no denying that, like, The Doors had a moment. I don't know if it was a moment in America and if it kind of, if they toured extensively in Europe. But are The Doors a construct of American, uh, you know, recording um, companies and American music publications because all the good rock and roll acts are from England. Yeah, I think that's very, I think, I think we've had that discussion before where you're hard pressed to go like, what's the greatest American band of all time from that kind of era? And I think the doors are put there because what else are you going to do? Say the Eagles? 
<laughs> and there's very little there like the kind of if you go to actually the source material and the music it's flimsy at best it's not really up there i think you're right i think there's been a concerted effort over the decades and you know people like oliver stone loving the kind of backstory to kind of have them in this kind of vaunted place where they just don't don't deserve to be yeah higgs might have actually answered the question i was just about to ask you craig which is to be because you said at the top of the show that you think that like their status, their legacy, their reputation is like overinflated to the point of, you know, just utter ludicrousness. So I guess in line with what you've just said and also just delving into a bit more, can you expand on that? I mean, like, and also in 2021, what, like, who, who still listens to The Doors? I'm sure plenty of people do, but at the same time, I mean. I think finally maybe they're kind of stars fading a little bit, but certainly they were like even even patty smith who's an incredible poet would like talk about jim morrison as if he was a godlike figure and it's just so baffling to me because i I think he was deeper than he's made out to be i don't think he was quite the kind of bimbo that he was made out to be but his poetry is lackluster at best i think he's just like reading a few william blake poems and not understanding them whatsoever it's all encapsulated in like that those early scenes with um, Meg Ryan where he's like writing poems essentially to get laid and she's like, I haven't read much poetry. What, what's a shaman? <laughs> and he's just like, I think within 10 seconds he's talking about stroking the snake. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That is the doors. They are, you know, okay, they might have given us Patty Smith, but I think their proper legacy is giving us Cockrock and giving us glam and giving us like motley crew i think that's the lineage and it's <laughs> so a very like, american as in, as in, thing like, we should all be embarrassed about <laughs> it's like so it's like these bands need to come on to combat this is it to like drive it away yeah. <laughs> fucking hell uh his courtship of poor meg ryan in this film by the way as well is utterly bizarre like opening stretches of this film just see there's a moment where jim Morrison like follows her home from the beach doesn't know her i get didn't happen by the way really which is like oliver stone i don't know what he's the story is so ludicrous. Like, the actual facts are so ludicrous. Why not just use them? <laughs> but he seems to be wanting to do this thing where he's, like, showing Jim as, like, some mystical, like, wood nymph or something that appears through some leaves and, like, steals her away from her boyfriend, but, which yeah, I don't so think he, happened he, either. But it's, like, I guess that's just showing that he can get anyone he wants. I don't know what he's doing he, with that. Yeah, but in the film's context, yeah, he, like, follows her home from the beach and she's at some party and he's standing on the other side of the road and there's a transition from day to night. So yeah, I guess yeah, he's yeah. been there for <laughs> six hours or something. And that's he ends he, up in her bedroom when she's asleep. Yeah, but and he, it's like, yeah, come on out. The, 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 it's a beautiful night. <laughs> like, <laughs> as his head bobbles back and forth dreamily as he does for the entire film, which is great. It's insane. But yeah, he, like, he climbs onto the balcony when her boyfriend goes to get her a drink or something and he just immediately kisses her and he's like you're the one and this guy's like who's that guy and you're like we're never gonna see him again and then yeah he does <laughs> he does the fucking milk tray man move and again it's like don't get me wrong it was the 60s or whatever uh so bookaroo you know like <laughs> a- attitudes have changed fair enough but yeah as you say it didn't even happen so it's just very like hang on a second mate this is like tantamount to a criminal act that you're doing but you know you're dreamy and you clearly have the soul of a native american that you've had in your <laughs> caucasian male body since you were four years of age so fair play um just how how bad is their music craig do you think or are there any door songs you like ah yeah no i like some of their their music isn't terrible whatsoever i think it's, i disagree it's the, the insult <laughs> like it is terrible <laughs> I like it sounds very cre- it sounds very creaky to my ears now. I think it's just the organ. There's something kind of like 
like gothic Americana about them that I think is interesting. They've some interesting mood pieces. I think the band were good players. Like Ray Manzarek just being like, or Manzarek just being like, we don't need a bassist because I've got a left hand and I can play the parts with that. It's just like, okay, he's he's pretty special. But it's creaky music. It's kind of knockoff stuff. They're a, they're a you know, a B-list band to my ears. Wow, that, I mean, if anything, I feel like you're like you're you're soft shooting it now. A B-list band, a band that I you feel, hate, is a B-list band. Higgs. I feel like Oliver Stone's propaganda has like got you around. <laughs> and next thing you'll be like, you know, Vladimir Putin. I watched this documentary. Not such a bad guy. Um, I I hope we all watch this film alone because this is another classic of like if someone walks in at some point, you're like, oh yeah, you're like don't even ask me to try and explain what what is what the imagery upon the screen right now i swear it's for a thing uh any closing thoughts higgs i mean like you know in terms of where, where, where this ranks in kilmer's filmography or stones or any more just general kind of doors musings you may have well i i wanted just to to, to touch on kilmer a bit because i find him a, a fascinating actor both from like the choices that he made and you know how he essentially kind of just disappeared kind of at the at the end of the 90s. Like, he's famously a difficult person to work with. Lots of people have said it. Um, although lots of people have said he's great to work with. Michael Mann said he was great. Robert De Niro said he was great. But he, he did have fallings out with people. Um, I'm kind of, I find it interesting that he ended up being in this because basically, like, the two movies that Stone made in quick succession, um, Born on the Fourth of July and this... I'm imagining that Oliver Stone went to see Top Gun and then he's like, well, <laughs> one of these guys in this movie is, you know, the matinee idol. He is the guy, you know, that you get to play Jim Morrison and the other guy is the guy that you play get to play Ron uh, Kovacs, who's like, you know, this, you know, incredibly uh, tortured Vietnam vet and that he thought that Tom Cruise was that and that Val Kilmer was the other. While when you kind of look at their careers, it's kind of like Val Kilmer definitely like ran away from, you know, that side of things. And Tom Cruise has really embraced it. Not that I necessarily need to see the version of the doors with uh, Tom Cruise, but in terms of Kilmer's like legacy, it's probably one of his best performances, but like it, not one of the best movies that he's been in. Like he's, he's always quite good. Um, and I think it's actually, it's quite a shame that either through, being difficult to work with and having like a bad rep and then like making some quite terrible movies that were like big flops like Island, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau and Red Planet, I think was like the early 2000s. But yeah, I, I, I always f- I find it interesting as well, like that, you know, he had kind of the comeback along with Downey and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Downey basically just like leveraged that into becoming a superstar and Kilmer's every bit as good in that movie and then never really had it. Obviously now since then he's had health issues um, and yeah, that's kind of like affected how his approach to, to making movies. But yeah, like he has an incredible presence. He's like a very interesting person. I think he's quite self-deprecating and yeah, I'd love to see him in more stuff. I think he's going to be in the new Top Gun, but I can't imagine it'll be more than just a like cameo, a brief yeah. fleeting moment. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen how he would have aged because I just think he like he would make interesting choices, but um, for some reason or the other hasn't really had that opportunity. Yeah, I like him. Um, I think he's got a good presence and it, it is a very interesting career. 
Um, of course, he was Batman just four years after this for one time only appearance in Batman Forever. Uh, Felt like Batman Forever, and then was it the Saint after that? And it was kind of like, okay, your your moment in the sun is over it's now. Beginning to but they, the yeah. Saint was a, a, a. I think the Saint. Well, I remember it being a good film when I was younger, and I wouldn't mind going back to it. But like, he's quite good in it in a way that, like, you know, you could you could say if you bring up Tom Cruise again that like Tom Cruise is off doing his spy shit, and Val Kilmer is like, oh, I want a bit of that, but. I can't see Tom Cruise doing a movie where, you know, he he, he has like, you know, the, the goofy teeth in like with all the disguises. Like, I don't think Tom Cruise could pull that off. Um, and that movie was successful. But and he also he he figured out that the Batman thing was like, there's no Batman's not the character, like the lead in this. He kind of he had his one. He's he's a good Batman, I think. Yeah. And I and then he figured out, he's like, well, I'm not the lead in this movie. And it's 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 just about Arnie in the next one. So I'm out of here. And he made the right choice, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> he did indeed, yeah. yeah. I mean, his his mid-2000s is interesting because you mentioned Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was a modest hit and he's really good in it. Uh, around that time, though, he's also in like films like uh, Spartan, which is like a David Mamet, like kind of down the line thriller, which uh, is your, your classic two and a half out of five out of push, maybe just a two. And that's a film in which he plays this kind of, like, no-nonsense army, like, kind of trainer or something. And, like, a conspiracy happens. But, like, this is a, like, in that wonderful, strange genre of kind of tough guy movies where Val Kilmer is, like, our hero. But the amount of times he will, like, uh, like get someone killed, like, like the, the like and, ha- and his, his, his reaction to collateral damage is pure apathy the man does not give a fuck every character in the film it's like do not help val kilmer you will be shot in the head five seconds later and he will just walk away like he's late for a meeting or something it's very strange he's also in a film in the mid-2000s called mindhunters which is a rennie harlan joint which is a real who's who of like you know straight to dvd like kind of seven kind of ripoff style thrillers like this is a film with christian slater Johnny Lee Miller, LL Cool J, Clifton Collins Jr., Val Kilmer is mentioned, of course, and it's about a bunch of FBI profilers who are, like, brought to a remote island to, you know, do some, like, training, but of course, there's a killer in the midst picking them off one by one, and this is a film that has one of the best, worst, like, kind of payoff lines of all time when the killer is finally revealed and gets taken down. Spoiler, it's not LL Cool J, because LL Cool J quips after the villain is shot to death he goes because the whole thing is that the villain like is killing people based on their weaknesses like christian slayer's character ha- is, is curious so he's in a shop and he like touches the like a, a domino which sets off a chain of events that ends up killing him of course so elo cool J, after the villain has been riddled says well i guess we found out what his weakness was bullets <laughs> and it's like okay and val Kilmer gets like strung up like something out of a fucking hellraiser film halfway through that one so yeah interesting guy i think he's in the snowman as well mr. He, yeah mr so, police i gave you all the clues uh which i haven't seen uh yeah he so he popped up in the snowman and everyone was like oh that's val Kilmer. he he had uh throat cancer he's had like two tracheotomies and speaks very 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 differently now and yeah i think he kind of kept it quiet for a while and then was in that and it was kind of a big shock for everyone yeah that movie's terrible i'd forgotten that he reunited with oliver stone to make alexander and played 
the father oh, of Alexander Oh, fuck, he did. I saw that in the cinema. That is a dreadful film. And if I recall correctly, he's full-on channeling Jim Morrison at the Thanksgiving scene and that for the entire time. He's just <laughs> drunk and shouting and causing problems. Um, he brought out a book about a year ago, which I've only read some excerpts from, but I would like to read like it. Like a memoir? Yeah, it seemed like it was interesting. And he obviously has like a lot of kind of Hollywood hell-raising tales. Uh, speaking of hell-raisers, Craig, before we wrap it up, uh, any last thoughts on Jim Morrison before, before, you, before you put him away again for a while? Uh, like I don't you know I don't think we get the true Jim Morrison in this film or in most of the books written about him so we'll just never know what he was really like as a dude but what he has caused <laughs> what is he like what he's left in his wake um yeah this film man it just feels I think you called it like um like some of the scenes were like Saturday Night Live sketches and it feels like one extended long like fucking more cowbell scene this entire film it feels like it's it encapsulates that kind of genre of 90s films doing throwback 60s stuff um boomer directors i guess like it it made like the wayne's world franchise a bit funnier so <laughs> we've that to thank for it maybe that's jim's legacy do uh do kings of leon exist if not for the doors or am i just barking up the wrong kind of old yeah school i think rock i think tree? as long as i think as long as credence exists you've got kings of leon <laughs> <laughs> but you might not have guns and roses oh wow jesus <laughs> what, what a way to finish it off uh craig thank you very much for suffering your way through this film oh no absolute pleasure i, I, really I greatly it. appreciate it uh next time on the show uh we'll hopefully have norma back and it appears if you know guidelines continue as they are uh it might be a no popcorn trip to the actual cinema to see this little details that tell the world we are not invisible Ignore anyone who doubts you. We came to work and to live, and we got a lot in common. So that's In the Heights uh, it's a new film I believe it's directed by John M. Chu I believe it comes from a stage musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda I don't actually know that much more about it as a matter of fact I was kind of trying not to watch all of the trailer I think it's been long delayed uh, it's musical obviously and it has like like when I went through the trailer I was like Jimmy Smits is in this? oh my god I'm in Higgs you chose this tell us a bit about it um, yeah I, I'm basically in the exact same boat as you Dave where it was just like I um, had not, I was aware of it but um, haven't even seen Hamilton so I can't even say that I, I'm, I'm f- very familiar with Lin-Manuel Miranda's work but you know it's a big movie we get to go to the cinema um, big screen big movie I, I don't think we've done a musical in a while either have we probably not but i tend to just forget things in general especially when i've got the lizard king slithering his way around my and cerebral i, I always assume that Ride you snake, baby. <laughs> don't really like musicals that much i don't know if that's necessarily uh, true i don't know if that's necessarily true i love rocky horror picture show i so liked, like taking you out of your comfort zone yeah you do i liked rocket man more than i <laughs> thought i would um a star is born is, is a star is born a musical no it's not okay. Um, like I'm, I'm talking about more where people like almost like a, a song, a, you know, a, a sanctuary musical as opposed to just a a movie with songs in it. Well, if I survived cats, I feel like I can survive anything. So, um, 
on that note I think you should have a little higher expectations than cats <laughs> I hope so cats versus the doors that would be a double bill fuck me um, alright Craig Fitzpatrick no encore podcast man uh, tell us a bit more about yourself before we let you go where can we find you what <laughs> at, I don't know at Craig is lame at Craig is catch lame. my tree tweets uh, fortnight they're always yeah. great in fairness thank you um, alright that's the doors um, to play us out this time a little snippet of their one good song as far as I'm concerned people are strange bit of a belter um, yeah maybe they got more than one but I will agree that that organ is just way too distracting in general but that's Jim Morrison for you Dave Higgins Craig Fitzpatrick Dave Hanready this has been No Popcorn there will be no popcorn and uh, here's a song here's a here's a cut from the lads Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.